I'm very, very excited about this message. Last week, if, uh, if you weren't here, it was, the name of that message was The Beautiful Assignment. And basically what we talked about was a people group, the Samaritans, as Jesus was moving towards the cross in his destiny, he had to go through, he went through Samaria and the town completely rejected him. They could have had the Messiah, but they chose to reject him. And then along the way, we met some, some people that wanted to follow Jesus, but simply would not become his disciples because they had excuses. They came up with every reason in the book not to follow him because they didn't understand him or what his purpose was. And that's where we find ourselves so much in the world around us today. We see so many people that are looking for answers. And they're, they're, they, they may have heard that Jesus is, is, is perhaps the answer, but we are, we are living testimonies. And I, I just want to encourage you this week. This is a crucial week. Get, take those invite cards. You don't know. Here's the thing people miss. You give that one invite. You say, hey, my, my church is, you know, there's a message of hope there. You need to hear this. You don't know what that seed can do. We have many people that have come in the first service as well that came for the first time after 20, 25 years of never being in church. I know a few of them. And they came on an Easter Sunday two or three years ago, and they're members now, and they're, 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 they're living for God. And this is, how many understand, that's the heart of Jesus. Here's the part people miss on that road to discipleship. They, you think you're just doing it for God, but do you know what? God's getting you done while you help get other people done. And he'll bless you along the journey. So that was really last week's message. Now I want to fast forward to the beautiful arrival. This is Palm Sunday. I, I don't have a palm on me. But the, the narrative that we're going to take is Luke chapter 19. You can start turning in your Bibles there. Luke chapter 19, uh, uh, verse 29, I believe. And before we get into it, I want to kind of explain what's going on. There's a pageantry going on. This is Jesus' triumphal entry. It's a week before his death on the cross. To, to put it in perspective, I want you to get a real picture of what it was like. In Jerusalem, the town was about, most scholars would estimate, about 100,000 people in that day. Okay, so that's probably Green Bay proper, and then with Brown County, about 200,000 on the outskirts, and that's about how it was there as well. Now, in, imagine this. Imagine a processional into the gates, into the temp, to, towards where the temple is, okay? There's the Mount of Olives, and Jesus descends on that. When we come to the triumphal entry, he descends down the Mount of Olives. But before he gets there, I want you to understand, they're going there every year for Passover to celebrate uh, in the Bible, it talks about the Ten Commandments. Remember the Ten Commandments and how he was the, the, the Pharaoh? And, and you, you, anybody ever see the movie the Ten Commandments? Anybody ever see that? Okay. In that, some of you, you can watch it. They usually show it around Easter. But what happened is, is that the children of Israel got delivered from Pharaoh. God delivered them. And the last, the straw that broke the camel's back was the angel of death came over the entire nation of Egypt. And the Hebrews were protected by the blood on the doorposts. And because of that sacrificial sacrifice, the blood of a lamb, they, they literally killed a lamb and put blood on the doorpost, the angel of death passed over. So in honor of that, after the fact, the children of Israel were then delivered and set free. And so this is a huge, huge deal in culture, in their culture. Well, here we are that week. Here we are up to that week. And up until this time, Outside of a few disciples, Jesus has not really come out publicly about his identity. He has to his closer friends, 
But this is about a coronation. This triumphal entry is about sending a message to the rest of the world during the time of Passover that, yes, I am the Messiah. So I want you to picture Lambeau Field. I want you to picture, I would say Brett Favre, but these days it's more Aaron Rodgers because I, I, you know, I'm not equating the two or, or I don't even want to go there because I don't want to get into that discussion. But imagine just, you know, all the, this huge processional or, or maybe like the, the royal weddings that we see in, 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 in England. And so every, all eyes are focused on, on Jesus as, as he's about to, about to enter into the city coming down the Mount of Olives. So there's a fever pitch. So here's what happens. We read in Luke verse 19, Luke chapter 19. And it says, as he approached Bethpage, this is verse 29, in Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. And as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. There's a a lot of little nuggets in that portion of Scripture that I'm going to touch on today. But I want to tell you, as I was preparing this message, I was like, Lord, are you sure? Are you sure? Are you sure? Anybody ever said that to the Lord? Are you sure? Because, Lord, it doesn't sound the theological discourse that I want to disseminate onto these people as they intellectually grasp it. He said, preach my word, leave the results up to me. <laughs> and, and I'll tell you, I had this struggle. And so I'm, I was really struggling this week. Okay, God, I, I, what new twist can we put on this ages-old story? Preach my word. <laughs> preach it, leave the results up to me. Yes, sir. So let's go portion by portion of that passage of Scripture. The part where he says, untie this colt. He's telling his disciples, go and untie a colt. There's some significance behind that. Number one, a colt is symbolic of peace. If Jesus had come in riding on a horse in those times, he would have been saying and making a declaration of war. The fact that he came on a peace was symbolic also because in Zechariah chapter 9, a prophetic portion of Scripture, the Jews knew that their Messiah would ride into town on a colt. Time and again, Jesus is constantly reinforcing to his disciples, and this is the apex. This is when he says to everybody, I am who you say I am. And he's telling everybody, I am the Messiah. And up until then, he's been kind of, you know, let's just keep this a little bit quieter. He told some, you know, trusted disciples and this and that. He began to talk about his death. 
So imagine you're the disciple, and you have a lot on your mind, and you're seeing two million people cheer you, and like, yeah, I know this guy. He's my bud. We're tight. Would you bask in a little bit of glory? I mean, you know, I mean, just modern-day thing. You know, you and Aaron Rodgers are walking down into Lambeau Field, and we're tight. You know, I want to get you the picture of some of the pride that's swelling in these guys. Never mind the fact, though, that Jesus told them, by the way, when we go into Jerusalem, I'm going there to die. They were thinking coronation. Jesus was thinking execution. So when he says go untie the colt, here's a couple of other aspects you need to think about, and this will all tie together at the end. The, when, when he told them to go untie the colt, he's making a declaration that the colt that you find is mine. Because think about it. Didn't we not read that it had an owner? He said, go and untie the colt and bring it to me. And if anybody asks you along the way, tell them the Lord has need of it. What he's also saying, in ancient times, a king had divine privilege. He had, excuse me, not divine. In, in this case, it was divine, but in In ancient times, if the king needed it, the subjects had to bring it, right? So what he's saying is, is that I'm king, and if anybody says they need it, tell them the Lord has need of it. And they obeyed. They did it. They went and got it, and sure enough, and the owners made a declaration. Now, here's another part of that scripture that we read. It said, blessed is the king. In the Psalms, it says, blessed is the one. They are acknowledging that he is king and he is Lord. Huge momentum. Let's take the city. Your Lord, I'm going to do everything you say to do, Lord. I'm all in. I'm all in. I imagine the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the religious elite. They were very threatened by Jesus and the message that he came to bring of grace. They were mean, nasty, power-hungry, religious zealots who did not get it. They just didn't get it. Then you had the Roman guard who's watching this procession with cautious eye going, this is like a coronation of a king here. I mean, the, the Roman guards were on high alert. So you had this whole scene here. And then I imagine all of those close to Jesus, the ones he'd healed, Bartimaeus, who had just, blind guy, healed right on the road. The, the pageantry of all of these people, they're, they're claiming him king. And then I can imagine the disciples like Peter, James, and John. Peter's, Peter's, he's amped. He's like, yeah, we're going to take this place. You know, I can't wait till we get in the city and I sit, in the, sit on my high horse next to Jesus. And then there's James and John, you know, jockeying over who's going to be greater. And then you have Judas, who's all he's concerned about is the increased tithes and offerings that he's going to have as they usher in this new political rule. Problem is, is that Jesus came to die. They didn't come He didn't come to upset and destroy the Roman government like they thought. So the expectation, and this is the key part of that, the expectation was this, Lord, we have an agenda. And my motive for following you and calling you Lord is the fulfillment of that agenda. They absolutely missed it. In complete transparency, if I was there in their shoes, I would have completely missed it. So you have this scene going on, a couple of things that I want you to, to chew on. When Jesus arrives on the scene in your life, things will happen. But we all have agendas, don't we? The question is, whose agenda is it that we're following? Is it Jesus' agenda 
or is it our own? What we learn here, too, a couple of things that I, that I, that I want to ask you. When God says, I have need of it, and you acknowledge him as Lord, do you know what you're saying? You're saying you're the king, right? You're the king. When I got revelation that he's the king, suddenly everything I own has a different meaning, wouldn't it? The Lord has need of it. Uh, Ryan, I want you to step out of your comfort zone and tell that clerk in the line of Walmart that I love her because the Lord has need of it. Uh, Lord, I'll just give her a track to Life Church or something or tell her about our website. <laughs> uh, you get what I'm saying? The Lord has need of it. Here's the thing. We are stewards, and I, and I got this. It's not just financial. It's everything. Lordship is in everything. And, and for many of us, we honestly view lordship as hard. We view it as, we may not say it, but what we're really saying is, Lord, you're a taskmaster who's got all these assignments for me that I can't possibly fulfill and follow. That's what we say sometimes when we don't want to do what the Lord has need of. And what you have to understand is, is that that's perfectly normal because we're all sinful. However, God knows that we can't make him Lord. It's the grace of God that helps us make him Lord. He's already Lord anyway. His grace helps us to acknowledge that. Get it? When you view your stuff, God, God created the world. We are stewards of that stuff. He gives us stuff to use to invest in with his kingdom. What we do with that matters. We can hoard it or we can empower people with it. It's a decision. But my question to you in your life, with your time, your talents, and your treasures, when the Lord says, I have need of it, do you give it? Here's the thing. In that moment, now think about this. These were really spiritual people. They put their cloaks down. In that time, for many, many people, they, a lot of them were very, very poor. A cloak or a garment protected them from the elements. So when you're putting it down for a donkey to walk over, you are giving up your security. Would you not agree? They were all in. So these same people that were ready to, you know, Lord, I'm all in. I'm loving it. Within days would be chanting, crucify him. They were all in, but now they're not all in because their agenda didn't match with his. You get, you're tracking with me, okay? All right, so we established that. Now, let's go to the next portion of Scripture. Let's put it up on the screen. The part, verse 41. This is crucial. As he, Jesus, approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. I remember 11 years ago, if you've come to this church long enough, you've heard about my little addictions, but I remember, <laughs> this was years ago, I remember I was at Oneida Casino. I had taken an advanced paycheck from my current employer because I'd already lost my other paycheck from playing blackjack. First of all, I was a terrible gambler and a compulsive one. Second of all, I can remember sitting at the blackjack table 
And I'm in that critical moment where I have a chance to double down and I've already put up all my cash and, and I've watched next week's paycheck go and next week pay. Can we just be real? I mean, and I'm sitting there praying to God, God, if you will just hit me and hit me with a 10, I'll get 21 and I'll be out of this jam. Hit me. Hit me. <laughs> Somehow I discovered God in that moment. You know, the bailout plan, oh God. I remember drinking, same thing, oh God. The bailout plan. Jesus wept 2,000 years ago for the condition that I was in right then. Jesus weeps for us in the areas where we're so blind. He weeps for us. When he stepped foot in Jerusalem, I want you to get a picture of what weeping, what his weeping was like. This wasn't just a, a tear. The Amplified Bible says it was audible. It was loud. It was sobbing. Why was he crying? Because he knows that we want to make him Lord, guys. We want to make him Lord. If you're here today, there's, there is something deep in you that wants to make Jesus Lord out of your willpower and your strength. Here's the problem, can we be real, that we all face. There's a difference between wanting to and letting him, through you, accomplish all that he wants to do through you. There's a difference between wanting to and having the power to carry out lordship. I can remember saying many times, foxhole players, just deliver, deliver me. You know, what, you know what the answer to my prayer was at that blackjack table? Lose it again. And lose it again. And lose it again. And lose it again until at some point you come to the end of you. I'm willing to bet that, no pun intended, that everyone in this room has had a defining moment where, and that's just a, a minor example, it's a very unspiritual example, but you've had a defining moment in your life where you're right there. God is, you've, you're begging him to change the circumstances. Or maybe it's something like this. Lord, uh, I love this... <laughs> coked out boyfriend of mine and I want him to change. So change him and then so I can marry him. How many understand that's not a right prayer? How about, Lord, change me and help me to fix me because what I'm seeing here isn't right. God, deal with that person because he needs you, but he also, I need to see you through this because that's not your plan for me right now. Take a break. We need clarity in these decisions in life. Lord, fix my husband. Fix my wife. Fix them. I can imagine, <laughs> I can imagine some of the prayers. I mean, we all have those prayers. We want to fix other people. We want our agenda. We want when we want it, the way we want it, right? Here's a prayer I, I prayed. Lord, thank you for replacing my schizophrenic boss who's evil and vile, and thank you for empowering me because I'm so much better and so much more talented than him, and thank you, God, that everyone, including my boss's boss, who's going to fire him, will see it too and bless me. Now, you may not pray it like that. Are you getting the picture a little bit about what I'm saying is? We, but that's my agenda because he's got the six-figure salary. I want it. Always comparing, always looking. Here's, here's, here's the key facet, and then I'll get more into the weeping part. 
They were looking at what Jesus could do for them. They did not want to get to know him. The majority of the crowd didn't. The ones that came back to him were the ones that knew him, the disciples, right? The ones that intimately knew him after he restored them by his grace, not by their willpower, because Peter, who was all puffed up about how much he loved Jesus, denied him three times. We are the disciples. We are them. And when we insert ourselves into the story, we have to ask the question, Many on that day will call me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy? Did we not cast out demons? Did we not do all this for you? That's the scariest, most terrifying scripture in the Bible. <laughs> Depart from me, I didn't know you. Here's the difference of, on lordship. When, when, when any pastor teaches lordship, the fear is, God, we're not going to preach this right because they're not going to understand lordship because we're going to make it sound incredibly hard. I mean, we say phrases like, take up your cross and follow me. I remember last week I talked about this. My view of taking up my cross and following him when I wasn't saved was this. God is a taskmaster filled with rules and regulations that I can't possibly figure out. And, and, and he wants me to go and walk into a church and talk Christianese and be perfect and put on my mask and say, bless God, then cuss out my wife on the way out the door. That's my picture. How can I possibly follow that God? But really what taking up your cross is, is simply dying to your agenda so you can live out his, right? And anyone who got it, who gets it, understands that it's so much better. Now I don't have to go play, what was the Powerball thing recently? Like a gazillion billion dollars? Now I don't have to go... I made 500 bucks this week. I'm going to put $487 on the Powerball or whatever it is. In the name of Jesus. That's no way to live, man. But you know, I've been there. I've been there. Understand that. Understand that. I've many times called him Lord, Lord and betrayed him. Can anyone relate to that? So it, it, the disciples didn't want to betray him. They just thought he was up for another agenda. They didn't get it. All right, now the part about weeping. The number one thing that Jesus is telling us is that he weeps for you because he wants to set you free from you. He weeps because he stood over Jerusalem and he sees the, the city of God in all of the corruption, in all of the bad stuff, the bondage of his people, he realizes prophetically, he knows that Jerusalem's going to be sacked in a few years, the temple's going to be in ashes, God's city is going to be just leveled. He weeps over that. He weeps over his next step, which is to die. Do you think, don't you realize that Jesus actually felt the pain and the torture of facing the agony of the cross? He knows how you feel when you're in the, the pit of despair. He weeps. He weeps because people who he loved dearly would betray him and say crucify. He weeps for Peter, who he knows will betray him. He knows he will, he will, he will deny him, but for the joy set before him, he'll also restore him. Peter denied him, but the rest of the story is Jesus comes alive and he knows that Peter will be his. He knows there's another part to this. But have you ever felt misunderstood? You had a mission. 
You knew, for instance, you're, you're in your office place. You have ethics and integrity. And someone comes to ask you to look the other way. And there's a raise there for you, if you do. There's favor, if you do. Maybe it's a health concern or, or whatever that you overlook. And, you know, there's a temptation there. And you do the right thing. And that person slams you, tells you, it makes you look really bad and misunderstood before everybody. And it looks really dark, doesn't it? And then one, in one moment, the truth comes out. And you're set free from the lie. And all of a sudden, everyone gets it. But while you're going through it, you're misunderstood. Do you know that you have a Savior who felt, felt exactly that same way? He had a mission on the cross, and he was completely misunderstood. He was weeping because his people didn't know him or his purpose at that moment. He weeps for us. He weeps for our marriages that aren't perfect. He weeps for the daughter who has not come back to Christ. He weeps for the drug addict, the former gambler. He, he weeps for the, the pornography addict because he cares for you. This isn't a Lord that's just a slave master, a slave driver. Do you know he cares for you? He cares so much that he's weeping audibly 2,000 years ago for you. I want you to see yourself in the narrative. See yourself in the story. See it. Because he cares. He weeps for broken relationships. He weeps when you struggle. This isn't a Lord that doesn't care. The very next thing that Jesus did, the very next thing that Jesus did after he was weeping and he's saying, Jerusalem, you could have had peace. He goes to the temple. The word peace that we read is in Hebrew is the word shalom. It means nothing missing, nothing broken. It's not just the absence of war. It's nothing missing. It's completeness. It's wholeness. Jerusalem, my people, you're missing. There's completeness in me. You're so busy chasing what I can do for you. You've missed me. And so he heads in. He heads into the temple. And the first thing he does, this is unbelievable as I, as I, as I, as I, as I just chewed on this. I didn't even mention this in the first service. The first thing he does is he goes into the temple and he starts cleaning house. Money changers, corruption. Then he starts telling them about end times. He starts talking to them about he heals the sick. He heals people. He starts cleaning house. He was cleaning it because he cared, because he weeps. He, was started, he, 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 started, he started talking to them about his purpose and your purpose, as written in the Bible. That last week of his life, he was instructing his disciples on how to serve each other, that, that, that life on this earth is not about what I can do for just you, it's, it's about a plan, a larger picture that will set you free from you. Instead of jockeying for position in my kingdom, the greatest of you will serve. And so the God of the universe, you can read this in the Bible, he is literally with a towel, he's wiping their feet, and you have to remember what they walked in. Animal stuff. The God of the universe, imagine this, serving us in our filth and wiping our feet. This is a God. Does this sound like a God that doesn't care? He weeps for you. 
Some of us have heard this message a thousand times. A simple message like this. The temptation is to walk out and say, eh, heard that, nice job, carry on, soldier. I want you to have a life encounter with the living God who is for you. I want you to have a life encounter, and I want you to look at the areas that he perhaps needs to to talk to you about. I wrote some of them. What is Jesus trying to drive out of you? Can I be honest? Sometimes for me, it's self-righteousness. Anybody struggle with that? Sometimes it's pride. Sometimes it's explosive anger. Laziness. Sometimes it's the wrong people influences. See, if you've never been around, if you've never been in addiction, you don't understand. Why would you go back to those wrong people? One day I realized that Jesus is weeping for me. Why would I keep going back to the same old, same old, doing the same? That's insanity. Why would you keep doing that? If you've never been addicted, you wouldn't understand. But if you've been addicted, you understand. You understand that it's not, it's the, it's the idea that you're hopeless and there's no way out. And what Jesus is saying is, I want to come in, cleanse your temple. The reason I'm crying is because you don't have to live this way. I've got a plan for you. And if you will allow me to do it for you, the reason I'm going to the cross is so that I can set you free from the oppression. I know what's best for you. Now let me be Lord. With heads bowed and eyes closed. Lord, I, I gave him what you wanted me to share. What you put on my heart to share. How we struggle. When we declare you king with our lips, but our actions don't measure up. The freedom which I got. from trusting in your work, your finished work, over my work. The only decision that you're asking me to make or anyone in this room to make is to get rid of our self-sufficiency. Some of us are not hurting. Some of us think we have it all together. Some of us, we're just coasting through life There's no major problems and everything's fine. Everything's pleasant. But you know beneath the surface that for all of us, we all struggle. We all face stuff. But the victory of the cross is is that you give us power to overcome in those situations. That we don't have to live from emotion to emotion and just constantly be bouncing off the walls, living in, in constant expectation and trying to create you in our image when you are God. You are not our cosmic butler. You are God. You have empowered us through as stewards to work the plan that you've given us in your Bible. You are the one who gives us the seed to plant in the ground, and you will bring a harvest. The the word is true. A man's harvest in life depends entirely on what they sow, and what we sow is a gift from you. You give us the seed to sow. We're your stewards. And if you have need of whatever our resource is, it is my heart and prayer that it's not a have to, it's a want to. That all of a sudden, 
our clinginess, our hurts that we want to cling to, our, our unforgiveness that we want to cling to, that we'll get it, that in light of what you did for us, we have to release it, give it to you, because the Lord has need of it. You have need of our pain because you took it on the cross. You became sin for us so that by your stripes we are healed, redeemed, and set free. Thank you, God, that somebody is hearing this word at this very moment. You're just, there's a reckoning going on, and they viewed you through the wrong lens for years, never seeing that they could escape the oppression, the blindness. This very moment, this very moment, you're here. And we can testify of your overcoming power. You say, Pastor Ryan, with heads bowed, eyes closed. Uh, I significantly struggle, and I have significantly struggled. I'm not talking about the person who occasionally misses this. I'm not, a, I'm not talking to the person. I want to be very clear. I'm not talking to the person or persons that knows Jesus. Not talking to that person today. I'm talking to the person that doesn't know if they don't know Jesus. They don't know if they know. And if you don't know, I need you to know because your, your Savior weeps for you. He wants you in this moment. If you don't know, I want you to know and you can know. You can be absolutely clear. I'm not perfect, but I know that I know that I'm His. He is my Lord. I don't always do what I should do. But I can go to him, ask forgiveness, and he is faithful. But if you're that person that does not know that they know, I need you to know. And I need you to be honest and let your Savior cleanse you. Your temple is like the temple of Jerusalem. He drove stuff out to cleanse it. He just wants to cleanse it. If that's you, heads bowed, eyes closed, please raise your hand. I want to pray for you. Thank you, thank you. Angels in heaven, rejoice when God brings people into his family. At the end of the service, if you raised your hand, I want you to go back and we've got a New Testament Bible for you. If you would, I, I encourage you to get that book ransom. It'll help you in your walk. Let's just pray this prayer, all of us together, and celebrate the, the fact that there's, there's honesty in this house. Father in heaven, you are Lord and a loving Savior who gives us grace and peace to carry out the plan that you have for each of us. I know I'm a sinner, now saved by grace, and I purpose in my heart to live for you. In God's power, I consider it done. In Jesus' name. Amen. One more thing with heads bowed, eyes closed. I want, Holy Spirit, this is your time. With heads bowed, eyes closed. Lordship. 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 If you are in defiance of Lordship and you know it, and you know God, you know God, you know God. You do know God. You do know God but you are at absolute defiance. He's dealt with you for month after month after month and you have resisted because your plan is better and you're, you're honest about that. I don't know what it is. It could be anything. 
but you know what's right. He's dealing with you on it. He's dealing with it right now. I want you to raise your hand for you. Not for me, for you. Thank you. Thank you. For you, for you, and you, and you, and you, and you. You can put your hands down. I'm going to pray this prayer over you. But when I do, you have, a, you have an opportunity to receive it and believe God for change forever. And I'm asking you to receive it with the idea that he's going to bring a course correction in your life that is fundamental for your growth. I want you to see that your agenda isn't working. And if that's the case, believe God that he'll change that. Father in heaven, I thank you that you have given us your word to live by and that you've given us your grace to live by. I thank you that you just gently knock. You gently knock in areas where we all miss it. God, I pray for humility for our courageous people here who have decided to make you Lord and follow through your agenda. And no, they won't get it perfect, but they won't make excuses either. The days of excuses are over. They're over. They're over. It's finished. It's over. And that your grace will empower them, set them free, and make them the people they've always wanted to be. Jesus, you are so good, and I so love you. I love you more today than I did 11 years ago when you set me free from all that stuff. And most of all, Lord, you're setting me free from me. And I pray that for everyone in this room. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm done. Easter. Uh, by the way, Good Friday again, I want to remind you, one, one o'clock. I will say this, there are some images from the Passion of the Christ uh, that will be in there. I'm going to bring my kids, but I just wanted to give you that little nugget. There is, but you know, he did suffer a graphic death. Um, so I am going to bring them. We want to see you uh, one o'clock. Bring people to next Easter. I'm excited. God bless you. Have a great week.